Good morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12 today. Um, and as you're turning there, I just want to say um, something personal. I, I love you. I love this church. I'm so thankful to the Lord for these 10 years. And I'm going to say it today because uh, I think I can today and maybe next week I'll be older and more sentimental and cry. So this week I'm not going to cry and I'll just say I love you. I, I, these last 10 years, every time I've, I've been able to get up into this place and preach God's word, I've counted it as a great privilege. I, I love the way we worship. I love the way we fellowship. I love, love, love the unity of this body of Christ. Um, I am so thankful to the Lord for you, and I'm going to miss you deeply. So if you have your Bibles, our text, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7, all the way to 12, verse 8. So here's what the Word of God says. It says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to the see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of, of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through windows are dimmed and the doors of the sh on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or a golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Father, we come before you today needing to hear your word on how to do this life well. There are a thousand ways to waste our lives, and many of us will explore many of them. There is only one way, only one way to do this life well, and that is to remember you and to set our eyes on the hope of Christ. So, Father, I pray that your word would today be at once challenging to us and encouraging and uplifting and life-giving. Lord, I pray that if we came here this morning discouraged with the cares of this world, that we would leave here with our hope in Christ, 
our trust and our confidence and our joy restored. And there's so many things, Lord, going on in this world as has been prayed this morning. And I pray that you would lift up those who are struggling this morning. And Lord, we pray and we give thanks for Isaiah Horst and the way that you have brought him through this accident. We pray for his continued recovery. We pray for his family. We thank you for all the advancements in medicine that we, that were able to be such a help to him down in Denver. We pray for that family now. And I thank you too, Lord, the way, for the way the church came together uh, to be an encouragement and support, um, the unity that we could see even in that. And Lord, we pray, we pray together for the transition that's facing this church. Uh, we pray that the unity um, would be solid and rooted in Christ. And that with great joy, we would move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Early this year, so back in January, I think, my youngest daughter and I flew to Florida uh, so that I could speak at a funeral, my grandmother's funeral, actually, and then preach at my home church, the church I grew up in. Um, it was just she and I, and we spent a lot of time in a rental car on that trip, uh, just because Florida, there's a lot of driving. If you're in Florida, you do a lot of driving. I delegated the audio responsibilities to my daughter, and for whatever reason, one song seemed to play every time we drove somewhere. The song was Once I Was Seven Years Old by Lucas Graham. Have you heard that song? It's not, not an awesome song, but it's kind of catchy, I guess. We listened to that song maybe 20 times on that trip, 20 times. She had just turned nine years old, and I had just turned 49 years old, and for whatever reason, that song made me get weepy. And she's like playing it on repeat just to watch my response. And the reason it did that is because I could see my life going by. I remember being seven, and soon I'll be 50 years old. And the piece, at the, I mean, sorry, the pace at which that happens, it's mind-blowing. Like, just fast, really fast. The passage that we read is the preacher's word about that mind-blowing pace that life goes by. And it's a word to us about aging. For full disclosure, I plan to finish the book of Ecclesiastes today. My original plan, I was going to wrap it up this Sunday, and then next Sunday preach something very different for my final sermon as the preaching pastor of Ridgeview Bible Church. So I was planning to skip this passage, essentially, and just go today to chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. But as I began to try to wrap my mind around the end of Ecclesiastes, study this passage, I realized I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't not preach this sermon. I couldn't skip this passage, this message on aging, and still be faithful to the overall message of Ecclesiastes this is important to Solomon's argument. This is really important. This is like foundational to his thought that life is a vapor. And all the seasons of life, if life is a vapor, like your whole life is a vapor, then the seasons of life, like youth, middle age, aging, the droplets in that vapor. We have to get that. We have to wrap our minds around that if we're going to do this life well. So I reset my plan. Lord willing, we'll finish this series on Ecclesiastes next Sunday. This, that sermon, I think, will be called The End of the Matter. And maybe that'll be just a nice fitting wrap-up to my preaching ministry here among you. Today, we're going to spend our time thinking about aging. Thinking about growing from a 7-year-old to a 70-year-old and beyond. 
and the God-inspired, we're going to try to understand the God-inspired wisdom for here for us so that we might do that well. It's a reality that we hate. No one's excited about aging. No one is excited about it. Kings have searched wide and forever for the fountain of youth. Modern medicine and other things. We keep pursuing how to be healthy and live longer. And we hold on to every vestige of our youth with a, a closed fist. Youth is an idol in our hearts, often. Even when we're old, we want to appear young. We dye our hair. We, 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 we do everything we can to, to stay young. We do not love aging. But the reality is no matter what we do, no matter how you fight against this reality, this train keeps chugging along. One direction. Our 30s become our 40s. Our 40s become our 50s and so on until we, make, we wake up one day and our dentist looks like a teenager to us. And we're asking airline pilots on our, when we're boarding the airplane if, if their moms know that they're out this late flying airplanes. And the movies that we saw in theaters are now considered classics. And the saplings in our home Trees. The young people look younger and old people don't look as old. <laughs> it's crazy. That's aging. And it happens to everyone who continues to walk this path on earth. And we need God's help. We need God's grace. We need God's word to do aging in a way that glorifies God and leads to a life well-lived and not to a life that is wasted. So let's consider together this passage, lest we waste our lives. The main exhortation, the imperative, the only imperative of this passage is in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. That's the, there's a couple other imperatives actually. This is the one we're going to focus on. So why this word to the youth? Why does he say in the days? Note that he says days, by the way. He doesn't say the days of your youth. They're, they're days. But why, does he, why this word to the youth? Why, why do the youth need to hear this? I have two, two ideas about that and both kind of, I think, flow up from this passage. First, we are least inclined to remember our creator in the days of our youth. We are least inclined to look to Christ, to look to our creator when we are most strong and most able and most independent and most immortal, at least in our minds. And all of it is a facade, all of those things. And our, our strength, our ability, our independence, our immortality, this passage undermines all of those thoughts. The Ecclesiastes mauls those thoughts. The, this poem, which we're going to get to in a moment, shows how fleeting our strength is. Verse 3 says, strong men are bent. Strength and ability, they fade so quickly. The word creator, I think, is intended to undermine our sense of independence. God has made us. God has made everything. And therefore, we are dependent creatures, not independent creatures. On our strongest day, on our strongest day, we still live and move and have our being because of him. We might not realize that in our youthful arrogance, we, we might think that we keep our hearts beating and our minds working, yet it is our creator on whom we are dependent for everything. 
And all of Ecclesiastes is meant to show us how our lives are a vapor, a mere breath, a vanity. Remember the word chabel, the Hebrew word chabel. I keep saying it and I've mentioned it many times. It means breath. And in Ecclesiastes and the ESV, it's translated every time as vanity. This passage is bookmarked with that word. Look at verse, chapter 11, verse 10. It says, remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. A mere breath. That's what that means. Youth is a mere breath. And then 12.8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Our lives are a mere breath, like a vapor that we can see on a cool fall morning. You know, when you start getting cool out and you can see your breath, you don't see it long. I mean, it's real. It's, you, you breathe it out. It's there, but then it's gone. It's your life. Real. It's not fake. It's not meaningless. But it's a mere breath. And then gone forever. And that's a picture of us. So the first reason the youth need to hear this word is because so that they might not be inclined to forget their creator, not be mindful of him. Because when we're young, we think we're strong. We think we're able. We think we're independent. We think we're immortal. But none of those are true. The second reason the youth need to hear this word is because in God's grace and providence, our youth is the very best time to remember our creator. We have the most years of productivity ahead of us and the most strength. You really are stronger in that time. You have the most opportunities, the most ability. You have the most like opportunities to do good while you're young. Wasting those years is a tragedy. Our, our children, I mean, our children in society seem to do the adulting thing way later than they should. And we waste so much of our youth. And that is a tragedy. And here's the reality. If you came to Jesus as an old man or an old woman, I'm, I'm thankful that you did that. I'm, I, you should be thankful for that is God's grace to you. He gave life to your dead body before it was too late. And that's a joy that you should rejoice in. Even so, how good it is to remember your creator when you're 10 years old. And when you're, or when you're 15 years old, or when you're 20 years old, and live for him for decades. How good it is to avoid so many waylaying and years-wasting years mistakes and sin. So here is the call for young people not to waste some of their best years. And I hope you young people in this room will hear this. Don't waste this. If you're 10 or if you're 15, or if you're 20, or if you're 30, don't waste these years by not remembering your creator. What a regrettable mistake that will make, and you will regret that one day. You will agree with me one day, whether you're sitting there thinking this is nonsense or not, one day you'll agree. And I can say that as with years and years of experience as a pastor, sitting at lots of deathbeds, Humble yourself while you're young. See your need of God. Turn to the grace of God in Christ and live for his glory now. That's the call. Today is the day of salvation. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. What does it mean to remember your creator? I think it means to be mindful of him, 
Remind, mindful of his place in your life, to remember his call in your life, his commands, his demands of this world, to remember his rightful place in the universe and over our lives. We remember him by worship. We remember the glory and the honor that is due his name. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate every first Sunday of the month, in, in passages that we often read, like Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When we partake of this bread, this communion bread that we take, we remember that Jesus gave his life for us. We remember as we drink the wine that Jesus shed his blood for us. We remember, this is all what it means to remember your creator. We remember that it is only through faith in Christ and the work that he accomplished on the cross that we are redeemed and have hope and are forgiven and face judgment. We are justified in Christ. We remember that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so in him we have newness of life. We remember, even as death approaches, we remember the tomb is empty and one day I will live again. New and indestructible and eternal life in Christ. That's remembering our creator. I think that's what it means to remember our creator. He is God over heaven and earth. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He is worthy of our worship. Jesus is the savior in him and in his grace alone is salvation. So that's the what of this. What does remembering mean? Now let's think about when and how we remember him. Solomon uses the word also in, in chapter 12, verse one. Note that. And I think it ties it all together with 11, seven through 10, which is why I went back to that passage again this week. We're called to remember our creator in the different seasons and of our lives and in different ways. As, in, as verse 12, one says, what we've been talking about, we remember our creator in the days of our youth. Remembering our creator is remembering that those years are a gift. You know that your, your youth is a gift from God. Every day of your youth is a gift from God. A, a gift that one day you will miss. So remember him in those good days when your body works well, your eyes work well, you experience all those sweet things that come in the years of our youth, like marriage and having small children and launching your career and beginning this trajectory of your life and your work. Remember him. And we remember our creator in the dark days too that he refers to in 11.8. And actually, I think in all of our poem that we're gonna get to in a moment in chapter 12, we remember him as our sustainer in those dark days as our loving savior who protects us and guides us and provides for us and holds on to us and gives us hope. And this is also connected to chapter 11, verse nine. We remember our creator throughout our lives and every season of our lives as the judge to whom we are accountable. Remembering him as our creator is remembering that we are accountable to him. He's our creator, he's our maker. He has authority over us. We are not in any way morally or otherwise independent of God. Our creator is the one who made us and he is the judge of heaven and earth. So that's the what, the when, the how. We're to remember our creator. Now to this beautiful poem. Let's go there. This is a really pretty poem about aging. And I love that. Beautiful words to describe a really hard reality. It's loaded with images. I think I counted 16 different images in verses two through seven of chapter 12. We could spend a long time unpacking each image because I think they're all helpful. What it looks like as we, this, this journey as we return to our eternal home. 
The Bible is frank about our aging. It's not bitter. We get bitter, but it's not bitter about our aging. It's clear. We grow old. And this before us is a beautiful and helpful and frank poem about it. Now, again, we don't like to grow old. We don't, it feels bitter to us, doesn't it? If you're aging, it feels bitter. And perhaps that's right. Because aging is owing to sin. Aging is owing to sin. God designed us to live in perfect fellowship with him forever. But then there was sin. So here's the deal, friends. Every wrinkle that you see on your face, every gray hair that develops on your head, every toothache, every sore muscle, every hard thing, it's a reminder of the tragedy of that day in the garden when man thought they could do it themselves their own way. They could be like God. I did a little social media experiment again. I asked people who were aging and who were brave enough to own it to share the hard things they've experienced. And a bunch of people shared a bunch of things. I read them all this morning, went through them all again this morning. I saw all the serious hardships that they mentioned coming from aging. Some people wrote silly things, but most people wrote serious hardships that come from aging and they all fit nicely within this poem, every single one of them. So what I'm getting at here is that this is real life east of Eden. This is what it looks like. Let's consider just four of those images. So there's 16 of them. We're going to just think about four. Let's be real about this. So instead of makeup and hair dye and workout routines and all the other cosmetic solutions that we turn to as we idolize our youth, we will instead remember our creator. Much of this poem is about bodily decay. At the end of verse three, it says, those who look through windows are dimmed. And I think that's just a, an allusion to our eyesight, that they are dim because their eyesight is fading. Most of us, as we age, we see worse than we did when we were young. Glasses down, that the word. We just don't see as well, and that stinks. All the beauty around us, and we begin to see it dimly and cloudly as our eyesight diminishes. What a good reminder though, right? To, not take your eyesight for granted, not take the beautiful things that you see for granted. We shouldn't yawn at a sunset because they happen every night or at the view of a mountain because we think it's always there. Sure, they do happen every night. Mountains are there all the time, but one day the only thing you might see that's beautiful will be in your memory. And that is simply a picture of our mortality, right? And also a reminder of the hope of the gospel. You know, Paul uses language of vision, like how we see things. He said, we all see dimly now. That's life. I mean, some of us see dimly physically. All of us see dimly spiritually. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that now we all look through this glass darkly and dimly for now. But one day we will see with crystal clarity, we will see Christ face to face. There is hope in our diminishing eyesight. The the second image I want to highlight is verse four. The doors on the street are shut. And what I think that means is that there is, in aging, a diminishing of opportunities. More and more, the doors become shut to us that once were opened, and that's hard to take. That's hard to accept, but it is the truth. We don't always enjoy the same level of usefulness to society. Our ability to work diminishes, and so do our opportunities. The reality is I won't always be able to preach. I won't always be able to pastor a church. 
one day by necessity, by absolute physical necessity, I will have to step aside from those things and then seek whatever opportunities the Lord might have for me in that season. Doors on the street will be shut to me. And if you're old, you know what that feels like. And that's hard. That's hard to accept and to take. It hurts. We don't like that thought. But my encouragement to you, if, you, if that feels discouraging to you, is that in Christ, those doors won't be shut forever. Our usefulness does not end when we retire. It does not end when we go to the nursing home. It does not end. We will have a glorious God-given responsibilities forever. Those doors shutting should help you look to Christ. Encourage you to look to the cross, to look to the resurrection, to look to Christ. All right, the third image on my, that I want to cover today is my favorite one in this poem. It's in verse 5. It says, the grasshopper drags himself along. I, I love that. I really like that image. Grasshoppers don't drag themselves along, right? That's not what they do. They hop. And, and they hop really high. Uh, way back in 1958, Time Magazine published a science piece called The Grasshopper's Hop. That's what it's called. And I guess it was a year when the grasshoppers were like eating all the crops and they were a terrible plague in the Midwest. But this guy wrote about the grasshoppers. And in that piece, they said that a grasshopper's hop can clear 10 times its body length vertically and 20 times its body length horizontally. And to put that into perspective, if I had the grasshopper superpower, I could clear a five-story building with one hop and a football field would take me three leaps, three hops, That'd be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. But in the poem, the grasshopper isn't clearing buildings or football fields, is he? He isn't hopping at all. He's dragging himself along. The body diminishes in its abilities, and that is not easy for us to accept. The, the day I was writing this, I was actually writing just about this. Uh, a few guys showed up at my house to help me move our piano to another place. Uh, and they were like 33, 30 and 13 years old, those other guys that were helping me move this 5,000 pound piano, 380 pounds, not as bad. Anyway, I'm like 40 something, so I was the oldest guy there. Um, so, we, so we load up this piano into my pickup truck, and as we're driving, so we, we put it in there, we're all done, it's in the truck, I'm on my way to where that piano would find its final resting place. And the 30-somethings guy, I, I won't tell you his name, uh, but he might be an associate pastor here. He was chatting it up about the peak age of a man's strength, which he put, he needled right at early 30s. So we get stronger until we're in our early 30s, and then after that we get weaker. And I'm telling you, everything in me wanted to push back on that argument and say that, nah, it's, it's actually closer to 50 but since my back was on fire from moving a piano, I decided that I wouldn't say anything because our bodies do deteriorate. Our strength decreases. Balance gets worse. I know some of you struggle with balance. Injuries happen more often. They take longer to recover from. It's harder to stand up straight. It's harder to sit. It's harder to get good rest. Even walking becomes slow. The once mighty grasshopper who could clear five-story buildings is now dragging himself along. Reduced to that. That's the reality of aging, and it's very, very difficult. The final image I want to highlight is in verse 7. Dust returns to dust. This is the vivid picture of our mortality. 
the end of this aging process. You know, here, I'm trying to encourage you. Aging is ahead for all of you. You know the end of where that train goes? We die. Death is the reality. And it's before us all. This is the big picture of Ecclesiastes in an image. Dust returns to dust. We grow old and we die. And those two realities ought to absolutely shape the way we live our lives. They ought to absolutely shape the way we do youth and the way we live now, wherever you are. The way you ought to be old, that reality ought to shape that. And there are realities that ought to help us remember our creator, to remember that this life is a vapor and that our bodies are mortal. Every day past 40, every day past 40, you have those reminders. Reminders that ought to remind you that we have hope, that our hope can only be in Jesus Christ alone, not in our strengths, not in our bodies, but in Christ. You know what this poem should do for you if you are old? It should help you remember your creator and sustainer and set your eyes on Christ. Isn't it obvious, friend? Isn't it obvious that you cannot look to your own strengths? Your trouble walking ought to beckon your heart to Christ. We must look to the one who gives hope for us that one day our mortality will give way to immortality. That this perishable, it's perishable, will one day become imperishable in Christ. That in a moment, indeed, as Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound and we shall be changed. That's the hope for aging. The ultimate hope for your aging is Christ. Jesus is the hope for those who are old. And isn't that good news? The gospel is our hope. The resurrection is our hope. So remember your creator, old man. Remember your creator, old woman. Don't idolize youth. Don't wish it was always yours. Look to Jesus. Let me wrap this up with four points of application, four take-homes. First, again, if you're old, instead of just focusing on your age and all those hardships you face, instead of pretending you're young, instead of idolizing your youth, remember your creator and consider what he has for you in this present season. Just because you're old doesn't mean God won't use you powerfully for his glory. In the New Testament, we can see that the aged have a vital role to play, especially in the life of the church. Listen to what Paul wrote in Titus about those responsibilities. Hear yourself in this because it's got a word for everybody. Titus 2, 2 through 8 speaks to both the young and the old, just like Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. And he says this, older men, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. There's a word for you, old man. Don't just think I'm old. I don't have to care about this anymore. No, be sober-minded, be dignified, be self-controlled, be sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. 
Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so to train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an, op- uh, an opponent might be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Do you see, friend, young friend, old friend, you have a role to play in the church. A church that does not have those who are aged is lacking a crucial dynamic. And a church that does not appreciate those who are aged is a church that is doing it wrong. Younger men need godly older men to demonstrate what it looks like to trust in the Lord as an old man. You have a role to play, older man. Don't neglect this. Don't, don't like grow old just thinking about yourself. You have, you, you have people around, you have young men who need to know what it looks like to be old and a man of faith. Younger women need older women. They need to know what it looks like to be a good wife and to be a good godly mother and to be a a good godly person. And this is the beauty of the church. The saplings need trees with deep roots in Jesus. So if you're an older man or an older woman, let me just ask you directly. Are you demonstrating in this season of life what it looks like to be old and godly? Are you demonstrating what it looks like to remember your creator? Second, if you're young, hear these words and remember your creator. This is a word directly to you, youth, directly to you. It is folly to think that one day in the future you will follow Jesus. It is folly. You will not Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Remember your creator now. If you want any hope of remembering him then. Don't waste your youth because you have a poor memory of God. Third, as you age... I want to encourage you to let every wrinkle, every sore muscle, every loss of ability, every new shut door, every new prescription, whet your appetite for heaven and fill your heart with joy in Jesus Christ. All of those things, they are ultimately owing to sin. And if they were all by themselves, you would be most miserable. You'd have no hope. We feel the effects in our bodies. And you know what that should do for us as Christians? It should tune our hearts to sing his grace. It should help us to look to our Savior. To set our hope fully in the grace of God that's in Christ. One day, the effects of sin, all of them, will be null and void in Christ. One day, our old enemies like sin and aging and death will be finally defeated forever. Your aging should help you remember that. It should help you remember your creator and set your hope fully on Jesus Christ.
And finally, I want to just end this by reminding you that your hope and my hope, our hope, is not ultimately in us remembering God, but in God remembering us. Our hope is in his promises to us that he never forgets. God never forgets his promises. He remembers me. I might grow old one day and forget my own name, but he will never forget me. My name is written on his hands. My name is written in his book. My hope rests in the divine memory and God's memory, not in mine. My hope is in Christ and he remembers me and you forever. Isn't that good? Life is a vapor. Can't you feel that? Can you feel it yet? You soon will. If you cannot, life is a vapor. And whether you can feel that or not today, it is true. And that truth ought to beckon your heart to remember your creator with faith and with hope and even with joy. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our our hope indeed is in Christ and in Christ alone. Our savior who went to the cross who died on that cross, bearing the sin guilt of all of us whose faith is in Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. Not in ourselves, not even in our own memories, but in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to cast down idols. I pray that Ecclesiastes would be one big hammer smashing the idols. And today, Lord, that he would smash the idol of youth in our hearts. And that as we age, we will age with our eyes on Jesus, knowing that this life is just a vapor. And one day, one day, this perishable body will become imperishable. And I will know you. I will see you. I will know you as I am known. I will see you face to face. I will live for you forever in glory. Lord, I pray, I pray, we pray together. Would you help us to live in light of that reality today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.